Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. Um, I have continued my fascination about uh, the intersection of ideas. So I had on a couple of weeks ago, my friend Karen, who talked about the intersection between leadership and wellness. And you'll note that kind of intersectionality in a lot of uh, recent episodes. And thus continues the theme with my great friend, Tracy Winter. Tracy is based here in Austin as well. I think we met around four years ago um, at a workshop uh, where uh, I said, who's brave? Uh, who's brave enough to share their mission or calling or gift? And Tracy said, raised her hand. And so we, we've been friends ever since. Um, so uh, welcome, Tracy. Thank you, Justin. I'm excited to be here. And I'm always happy to have time to just bat ideas around with you. It's so yeah, fun. It's always fun. So this is this is what we do. We're just hitting record. So yes, exactly. Um, so just for listeners, Tracy is a, uh, a leadership coach um, who specializes in coaching executive neurodivergent executives. So that's the intersectional between leadership and neurodiversity. Um, and she holds a has a PhD in in the uh, field of philosophy, uh, but with a with a with a specialty around human development and. Um, is an expert in positive disintegration and um, kind of a, I, I don't know if it's, this is the right word, but a, a protege of Dabrowski and um, a lot of this idea that creative, creative tension, to use my friend Gareth's term, is a natural part of those of us that we would identify as neurodiverse or neurodivergent. So is that a, a, a good uh, overview of your background? <laughs> I think so. I wouldn't call myself a protege of Dabrowski's because he's dead, um, um, but but definitely um, immersed in his work and, and other work around gifted adulthood. So yeah, that sounds like me. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, let's, um, so let's get into this idea of, um, idea of this convergence between leadership and neurodiversity is, and the first question is, how are neurodivergent leaders um, different than NT versus neurotypical leaders? How, what are some things that are sort of obvious indicators or differences for someone that is neurodiverse versus someone that's neurotypical as it relates to leadership? So um, the quip answer is that the neurodiverse divergent folks definitely need an assistant. Um, to keep their brains brains more linear, but okay. their leadership tends to be um, they, so their brains are set up to be more divergent, right? Always looking at possibilities, always looking at what ifs, um, often having more empathy, not always, but often having more empathy than the average bear, um, and so all of those kinds of things come into play in leadership, in interacting with your with your teams, in interacting with um, ideas all of that kind of thing. They may have a harder time coming to conclusions and making those decisions, ADHDers in specific. Um, autistic folks sometimes have an easier time because they see the patterns. And so they see what the conclusion is gonna be very quickly. Um, and either way, there can be sort of an imbalance between sort of ideating and coming to conclusions. So that can drive a team a little bit batty if they don't know what's going on. Um, if they don't, you know, if we're not saying, okay, this is the ideating time, this is the converging time, um, leaders can actually drive their teams a little bit nutty that way. 
because most of the people that they're working with are neurotypical folks. Mm -hmm. um, so it's sort of the same story as in other places in that the world isn't really built for neuro neurodivergent folks. Mm -hmm. So with neurodivergent leaders, if they are lower leaders in the system, that system is usually not built for them. So they're trying to sort of manage their way between a system that's not built for them and creating a team that, that works in the way they need them to work. We're talking about like the very top management C-suite, they have a lot, a lot more freedom and also more responsibility and sort of constrictions, um, which is not always a great thing for a neurodivergent person to have right. constrictions at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's like my, you know, first thoughts about that. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think, um, I mean, you, you're, you, well, you're the expert. So this is more observational on my part. Um, my seeing myself in leadership positions, but also coaching and mentoring a number of neurodivergent people that are in leadership positions. And I think that there's kind of a, uh, almost like a subtext factor related to level of consciousness. Um, that when you look at consciousness through the lens of say like David Hawkins or Sam Harris, so neuro neuroscience based consciousness, not like necessarily spiritual consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, and the level of work that they've done with integration um, of their tra of trauma too, is yeah. that when I see a leader that is neurodiverse but has unintegrated trauma, yeah. I actually found them to be much more difficult to deal with, much more um, use uh, using their status as a cover up for, you know, basically they become very domineering. That's the way I would describe it, and they gravitate towards that what I refer to as the lower left quadrant of conscious behavior, which is lower, lower, lower self masculinity, which is around um, control. Um, and but that seems to only be the case for people or primarily the case with people that have unintegrated trauma. Um, a friend of mine who I've had on and uh, she's a, she's writing a book about this, about, about conscious, conscious leadership and the, in the, and the role of integrating trauma, Kelly Campbell, she talks about how uh, neurodiverse people with a uh, with with unintegrated trauma can gravitate towards power positions because it makes them feel safe. Um, what I love about it, though, from if they're at, if they have done the work, if they have if they're actively like you know they working with you, they have a coach and 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 or therapy therapist, or they do their own inner work, they can read the room better than anybody else. They there's uh, that I found, and they can multi-think using a term from um, Doug Brackman that, who wrote the book Driven. They can multi-think. And what that does is it's in, in like high pressure situations, it makes them very good leaders. And so this is, again, is that overlap to say like high performance situations like um, uh, uh, special operations military or um, a uh, sports team on a trying to, you know, with the, uh, run, you know, driving for a winning touchdown or taking the final shot in a basketball game, that type of leadership, if they've done the trauma work, they are, they're almost like superheroes um, in some ways compared to what neurotypical people can do. That's, that's kind of my long, long and multi-spectrum answer to that question. So I think if I can respond to that, is that okay? Of course, yeah. Okay. Um, I think um, to answer the last part first, the folks that you're talking about are probably more ADHDers. ADHDers are known to be pretty good in a crisis. All of a sudden, right. everything clicks, everything speeds up that needs to speed up in their brain, 
and right. it feels like everything slows down for them and they are just able to take it in. That's true for a lot of ADHDers. I think that might not be as true for autistic folks. Mm. Um, you know, put a wrench in the works. A lot of autistic folks are going to have a real hard time adjusting very quickly. Mm. So it's good to know sort of what you are capable of and surround yourself as usual in leadership with the people who, who aren't. Yeah. To the, to the unintegrated trauma, I would totally agree with that. Um, if you're not doing the work in general, like this is true for neurotypical or, or neurodivergent folks, if you're not doing the work, you're not going to be as good of a leader. You're going to go to command and control. Mm-hmm. You're going to in those. And my lens on it is um, often uh, Suzanne Cook-Gruder's constructive developmentalist lens, which is a developmental theory. I'm a developmentalist um, mm-hmm. that talks about sort of being able to manage increasing levels of complexity. Mm. And so trauma can hold you back from that, can hold you back from that development and you get scared, right? That's what the trauma triggers. As soon as you get scared, you're not being able to use your the rest of your brain. So holding those higher levels of complexity is, is just not available to you. And the better leaders are holding all of that complexity. They can hold you know, two opposing ideas in tension and also look for the third way. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did there? Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? So I think that's true. Like, And in order to get through you know, integrating trauma, there's a lot of complexity there. So just doing that increases right. the amount of complexity that you can manage. So I think that is very, um, I think that's telling. Yeah. I think, I think that there are leaders at, at, at all of these different levels and they manifest differently depending totally. on right. that. Totally, totally get that. And yeah, thank you for saying that nuance of uh, ADHD versus other neurodiverse um, labels for lack of a better term. Um, Though most because I I I I I have ADHD, I don't view it as a disability at all. I uh, most of my studies and the people I gravitate towards, um, they have ADHD as well, and it's been an interesting kind of overlap because a lot of my clients that I'm doing personal branding for uh, have ADHD and there's a struggle there. And this kind of goes into the second question that we're going to throw out. The struggle is at least people with ADHD, we don't do bullshit well. And a good amount of branding feels like bullshit. Like, oh, I've got to put these, I got to shoot a reel. I got to, I got to work the room. I got to go to networking. It's like, no, you don't have to do any of that stuff. You, you just can't not do branding because you're trying to build a business and trying to build a brand. So it's been a fun it's fun and challenging to uh, create brand strategy frameworks for uh, neurodiverse, specifically ADHD uh, entrepreneurs, and so that they they can take advantage of that. Other than go, eh, this doesn't, this is icky, and I don't want to do it. So, leading into that question is you and you kind of alluded to this is is that the the world is kind of not built for for us. It's not really built for neurodiverse people, and I think that's probably a relic of the industrial age. Uh, for sure, where, you know, mechanization and repeated order and things like that were, you know, part of what built, you know, the global economy. But within the systems that we're, we're living in, what are some of the common challenges you see leaders facing that are neurodiverse? So uh, this question is, these, these are such great questions because there are so many answers. It's just fun. Um, I think the first thing actually is communication is not being understood. Um, ADHDers, for instance, tend to jump 
from concept to concept and not necessarily remember to explain the connecting pieces in between and certainly not make it linear. And most people are linear thinkers. That's a you know, more neurotypical brain, which is you know around 80% of the population are linear thinkers. So for an ADHD -er, has this concept that isn't even in words most of the time because we live in our right brains a lot of the time, translating it into words and then making sure those words are ones that actually communicate the concept to the person you're talking to in a way that they mm -hmm. can understand. Like that alone, just that basic, how to communicate a thing, um, is is harder because someone who is neurotypical, who who thinks that way, as the same as most other people, doesn't have to go through that whole process, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more energy expended on that sort of thing, on being understood, on how do I reach this person? What's the strategy I need to use to reach this person? Um, that I think a lot of neurotypical folks don't need to use. So neurotypical leaders, you know, you got to have clear communication or else you're nowhere. Um, mm -hmm. So that, and that's one that I, I see a lot of my ADHD clients struggling with. Um, mm -hmm. What else? I think, so I, so I count giftedness as part of neurodiversity. Um, okay. they have, gifted people have a structurally different brain. They, mm -hmm. it lights up in different ways. If that's not the definition of neurodivergent, I don't know what is. So mm -hmm. um, they have the same kind of thing, those sort of communication problems and the divergent thinking that also goes along with ADHDers. It's the jumps and they don't know that they're not explaining it fully. They think they've explained it as much as they need to and they're confused why nobody gets it. Like it's a real, it's, it's not an arrogance. It's actually assuming everybody is, is thinking right. at the same place they are. Um, for autistic leaders, I think, um, you know, you have to be agile. That's that's one of the trigger words today, right? You have to be agile. And the autistic brain is not known for its agility. Um, it's known for needing a certain environment, you know, having structures in place. Um, okay with being surprised in places, but, you know, moving on the fly and having your schedule change like crazy, that sort of thing is not going to be conducive to a best result from an autistic leader. So, so those are some of the, those challenges. I think systemically, it's, well, we already talked about that. You know, it's, it's not made for us. I, it's interesting perspective on the, on the mechanistic culture, the leftover from the industrial age. And, and I think it's also not necessarily going to change that much because we're, we're a minority population. Like ask any minority population and right. they will say the world is not built for them. And they're right. 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 Yeah. So like, as long as we're minority, which we probably will be, we always have been, um, mm -hmm. this is how it's going to be. And so it's that balance of how do we get the best from those people? And also how do we not have to turn the neurotypical folks into pretzels to do that? Right. Yeah. Before I answer mine, I'm curious in your perspective, does, do these challenges are these challenges the same challenges of someone is say a founder, a neurodiverse founder versus a middle manager, you know, senior vice president of XYZ at company, whatever? That's a great question. Have, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. I don't think so. I think because the founder has the ability to shape the organization in his image or her image or their image. Um, so like that's why so many ADHDers become entrepreneurs. Right. It's to be able to do it their way because we're not really right. good at doing it somebody else's way. 
oftentimes because somebody else's way doesn't align with our natural way of being and thinking. Yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah, for a founder, they're running up against the external world, but not within their organization necessarily, but they still have the same communication issues and stuff as they're hiring, as they need people and get people like, right. you know, your finance guy is less likely to be an ADHD or Yep. <laughs> so you got to be able to, to bridge that communication. Yeah. Middle managers, you know, the more population, the more chances that you're going to have one of the 20% of the, the world that is considered probably neurodivergent. Um, yeah. So that was interesting. That's, yeah. I've been to think about that lately from a facilitation I did. And it was really interesting um, seeing the, the number of middle managers that had been identified as like the top leaders that were going to be leading the, com the company. And I only sensed one or two divergent thinkers. It was a lot of convergent thinking. Um, yeah. That was, and so like, where are the people with those ideas? Where are the people thinking differently? Yes. Yeah, and I think it's 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 interesting because if a if a senior leader, say an executive, a C-suite, a founder, is they are they identify as neurodivergent, neurodiverse, then they are much going to be much more likely, probably similar to what you see with women executives or people of color or, or LGBTQT leaders, you know, there, there's a sensitivity there that, mm -hmm. that the system, the system isn't really set up to make people that are neurotypical successful or not neurotypical successful. It's really set up around, you know, uh, if you look at like within the education system, things like uh, standardized testing. It's like basically I, not at all what, that's very difficult for a neurodivergent person to operate within. And then also the politics, the bullshit, as I said, you know, that that's another um, thing where somebody in a corporate environment that is neurodivergent, we, we would struggle to not just say exactly what we think. Uh, we would, you know, where we'd be like, well, that's, I don't, I think that's stupid. I don't want to do that. Like, and then, then we get labeled as difficult you know, that type of thing, you know, or we don't, you know, we don't listen or some of these other traits. And I think, I think though, for me and my observation for myself and others, again, like the, 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 the things that are challenges is, uh, uh, is pacing. Is if it's too fast, like this, this, this hustle culture, the grind culture, I find that to be, uh, at least for myself and those that I know that are, we're part of this little club of ADHDers in particular that are founders, that the hustle culture does not work for us. And I've seen it with a couple of friends and, and or clients that got like private equity for their companies. And there's this expectation of, they're just gonna have to, they're gonna work 12 hours a day, um, which a person, the neurodiverse person will do, but on their terms, not because the their masters told them that they had to. Mm -hmm. Then there's the slow pacing, how long things can take. You know, there's this sort of, strong impulse i think with neurodivergent people to be like let's fucking go you know let's do this and and i think that's the rhythm like that's maybe the way i would put it it's it's hard for it's more difficult to find the rhythm if you're neurodivergent and whether it's either too fast or too slow um and then i think fatigue in either of those cases you get fatigue and fatigue um brings out um i think everyone's darker angels um, but I think that's especially true fatigue, what fatigue does to neurodivergent people, because we, the, the sand, the sand castles we built to sort of function, get washed away and we can be very, 
I think we can be very chippy to be around when we're tired in particular, in a corporate environment in particular, where you're expected to be nice, even if you're exhausted. So that makes me think of a couple of things. Mm -hmm. um, that last part about, about fatigue, I wonder if it's not necessarily that when we get fatigued, we are more chippy, mm -hmm. but we're starting from a higher level of fatigue than a lot of neurotypical people, just by, by virtue of the effort that we have to put into the world. Mm -hmm. So being out mm -hmm. in the world, you know, whatever masking you have to do, which is an autistic term, but is apply, being applied in other places too, in order yes. to fit, in order to get that communication going, all of that kind of stuff. Like that's already a level of fatigue that we carry all the time, right? Um, and so when the other things happen that upset other people, but don't put them into like a, you know, puddle on the floor, we might become mm. a puddle because our threshold, like we're already, we're already half full on the fatigue reservoir. Like we can only take mm -hmm. so much more and then we flop. Um, mm. So that's just a wonder. Um, mm -hmm. I was thinking about what you said about pacing. I think the thing about it is there's no consistency. Like the most consistent thing about ADHD is that it's inconsistent, right? Right. Um, autism can be more consistent, but also like, you know, the, the strangest little thing can throw things off balance. So it's that, that lack of, you know, repetition is not something that we're going to do well. That's consistency. Um, yes. routine is consistency. All of that is anathema to an ADHD brain. Like, please don't make me because then my pace right. is going to slow way down because I don't want to, um, right. you know, and it doesn't matter how important it is. If it's not interesting or if it's not deadline driven, or if it's not any number of things, like that's not going to happen just because it's important. And that's a hard thing for other people to understand that you're not just being lazy or you're not just like yes, your right. priorities out of whack. Um, but I think that yeah, inconsistency I, of pacing is the thing, is the thing. Yeah. And I think all of those lead to which I think is the one of the more dominant, like darker feelings for neurodiverse people that we struggle with is shame. Oh, so much, so much shame. Yeah. So much shame in that. And that's like, well, do I have a character flaw? Am I, is there something wrong with me? We've been told that our entire lives. I mean, Absolutely. I remember my, my mom who I love and we have a good relationship now, but she used to say, what's wrong with you? And I would, and I'd had, you know, teachers and other people say that over the years and um, and it's, it's, uh, the more we learn about the brain and the more we learn about neurodiverge neurodiversity, I think, I hope that we see some level of good leadership allowing for self-pacing a little bit more, not, not kowtowing or, you know, creating sort of like functional codependency, but let, this is the, one of the great gifts of, you know, uh, remote work is you can work a little bit more at your own pace than have to go to the next meeting and the next meeting. And I also think there's something in there too, and this is my term, not a science, not a, like, a, I am 100% autodidactic here, uh, but is there's a significant difference between regulated and dysregulated, at least for me, ADHD. Dysregulated ADHD related to fatigue and diet, um, you know, not going to therapy, not getting movement, you know, those type of things. Um, and I don't want, I do not want society or systems or my partner at home to adjust to my unregulated ADHD. That is not their responsibility. I do want some adjustments and I expect some grace on my regulated ADHD, which is, you know, don't make me do something that's super boring for two hours, please. 
you know, uh, you know, it, I coached football for a year for 15 years and just was learning about even before I knew of the term neurodiversity, I learned to like structure the practices around the neurodiverse kids. So like seven, everything was seven minutes long. There was a row of seven kids. I just learned this rule of sevens. I don't know if you pick, if you learned that, but it was something I learned from a, um, uh, a, a, a counselor, a school counselor that specialized in now what we would call neurodiverse kids is the rule of sevens. So seven minutes, seven steps, seven people in a turn. So that was, that helped with pacing. So okay. anyway, which leads to the last question, um, which is what could we do? What can we do to better prepare young neurodiverse people for leadership positions? And we could go back to, let's say, let's say college age, but go back, you can go back to high school or even younger if you want, but what would be like the Tracy, Dr. Tracy Winter uh, developmental program for young people that want to be leaders? First thing I would say would be early identification. Let's, let's mm. point to what we're, what we're dealing with. And it's not a matter of getting the label. It's just like, let's understand the brain and what can be expected of this brain and what supports this brain needs. Um, and the sooner we can do that, the less we have the shame, the less we have the what's wrong with you, you aren't living up to your potential, all of that nonsense that gets embedded and is really, you know, micro traumas all through childhood and middle school and high school. Um, by the time we get to college, we're like, I'm going to say virgin on too late, but like if we can do it earlier, the earlier, the better, really is what I'm saying. And get those supports in place and get kids, number one, learning to advocate for themselves. And number two, asking for what they need um, and understanding what that is, you know, within within limits, but um, getting those accommodations so that they can be successful. Um, you know, successful people are the ones who become leaders, depending on your definition of success, of course. Um, so there's that. In college, more of that. Um, I spend a lot of my coaching time with college students and with adults with that shame piece and not necessarily directly but just reflecting back to them that the way they are is just right for them, just right. And so given that, here's what we need to do for you to you know, be in the world the way that you wanna be in it. But that early identification, knowing what we're dealing with, being able to say, oh, my brain's just different as opposed to what's wrong with me. That's right. Um, which a lot of gifted folks, autistic folks, ADHDers, like all of them, everybody knows that they are different real early way earlier than we think they do. They can tell they're different. And so like being able to say, yep, you're different and that's great. And here's what comes with it. Some awesome stuff. And here's some stuff to manage. What do we do about that? Um, so, so, you know, you say college students, I say like kindergarten would work for me. That'd be great. Um, I forgot the question. How do no, we I just, that's okay. I got, I, get, I got fired up about that. <laughs> yeah, so like the identification piece is huge. And then helping them learn to work with their brain. That's what I'm re rejiggering in the adult brains I work with. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, I think um, well, everything you said, and um, you know, at a societal level, and I attempt to do this this uh, destigmatization, destigmatization of the, like even calling it a disorder, you know, ADHD. Oh, that's a whole conversation. Yeah. It's like, it's a whole other conversation. It's like, 
no, we're not going to call it a disorder. Um, and number two is, um, I would early on, I'm doing this with, I did this with my, my sons, my older sons, and then my stepson who is all of them likely and some, several of them have been diagnosed with ADHD, um, is you still have to work within the system is if you try to be an outlaw, that's going to serve you really well if you can work within a system. And, you know, the, so the term I use is play the game. You have to learn to play the game because that's a skill. And if you see it as a game, you get to be creative. And you are, as, if, as a neurodiverse person, you are way more creative than neurotypical people. But the system will eat you alive uh, if you don't learn to regulate, if you don't learn to work within the system. The second is, is to is to be more a behavior oriented, be aware of your behavior because you can always change your behavior. You cannot change your brain wiring. You can change your behavior though. And, and that that's related to, you know, everything from uh, nutrition to movement to um, acts of service um, and anything you can do to balance out the two, the, the two hemispheres of the brain, you're going to be in a better place than people that people that are neurodiverse that don't do that work. Um, and then let's say, if you look at like, I really strongly encourage a, a ADHD in particular, but it could be any, any neurodiverse uh, person is to get into some sort of performance culture early, whether that's martial arts or um, uh, music, which is a performance culture, like performing on stage or the military, like get it, or um, doing things where you are in a complex environment with other people like you. Um, and that's, that's the thing is, the, is, the, is, is if you can learn how to interact with, within a complex environment with other people like you, I use that term loosely, then you are a leader at that point. Um, and you're going to be able to learn those leadership skills within a system that's highly complex, but is not, is not a detriment to you. That's why I go back to, you know, martial arts, uh, sports, team sports, intense, high intense team sports like basketball and football in particular, and then um, the military, as, uh, uh, especially around special, special ops. Is, those are complex environments where your skills are going to be and your wiring is going to be brought to the surface as a positive, not going to be seen as a negative and suppressed. Um, now, those are broad terms, but I think they're pretty accurate as far as like the environment to develop your skills as a neurodiverse leader. I think balancing the brain was a key phrase that you said, which actually aligns with some of the other things that you pointed to toward the end. Um, I'm an, you know, I'm an adhd -er. I was identified as gifted when I was four, um, three or four. Um, I'm so glad I had a physical practice growing up of dance mm. because it's so easy for some of us to be in our heads yep. and disconnect from our bodies. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's the so way I'm having, my behavior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's having those, those pieces and then choosing something like ballet or martial arts where balance is a key piece of it. That creates more integration between your two hemispheres. It actually creates a thicker corpus callosum. So like you're really integrating when you're doing something along those lines. Um, I wasn't sure what you meant by performance culture, but now I kind of get it. 
I think there's a, the achievement piece. I mean, you look at a Michael Phelps, right? Who's famously an ADHD -er and famously channeled all of that energy into swimming. Yep. Um, and there's something to the performative part, but I think for me, in my experience, and what I've seen from, from a lot of people is it's that community piece. Mm -hmm. It's the being with people like you. This is why, yeah. this is why magnet schools are the like preferred option for gifted kids, even though they've fallen out of favor because you put a bunch of gifted kids in a room and nobody's weird. That's right. You put a bunch of autistic, there's actually research showing you put a bunch of autistic folks in a room together and let them talk. There are no communication problems or few, right. you know, there's not the communication problems you see when, when they're out in the world. Yes. So like being able to grow up and be in that kind of space and feel like you're normal because mm -hmm. of who's surrounding you, you are normal within that group gives you the, the, the foundation that you need to feel sure of yourself going forward. Right. Even when you find, you know, even though, you know, intellectually there are differences, but there are differences and I'm okay. Yeah. Right. Which is yeah. different than there are differences and I'm an alien. Yes. You know, so which one of those is more likely to be a leader? Yes. And I think that goes back to, you have to learn to work within the system but you need the confidence and skills to do that, which is you'd be better off having a lab of which you can work within. So whether it's dance or, 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 or martial arts or football or whatever, um, you are working, then you can, you can function at a more confident level mm -hmm. um, in, the, in, the, in the NT world um, that, you know, that's, that's, that's out there. So yeah, my, my gifted, my highly gifted ADHD dad always told us growing up, Sometimes you just got to jump through the hoops. Right. And, yes. and what you said about being problem solvers, like I point this out to my clients all the time and they're surprised. They're like, you're natural problem solvers. You have to, you have to solve problems constantly from the time that you're practically born in yeah. order to get through this world that is not made for you. Yes. Like you're solving problems when you're you're solving problems. So that in terms of leadership, like what a wonderful skill to have that's almost unconscious. Yes. Yeah. That's a great stopping point. <laughs> So thank you so much for doing this. This is as as I knew it would be super interesting, and that, and I hope that people that are listening um, are, uh, are 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 you know benefit from it. And I would encourage you, uh, the listeners, um, if you need a coach and you are consider yourself a neurodiverse person, please look up Tracy. Um, I'll link to your website and your um, LinkedIn in the show notes. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Justin. Thank you for the conversation. And whenever I talk to you, my brain gets working. So it just feels like a nice big stretch. I appreciate it very much. So thank you for the opportunity.